The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson. Here is my co-host, Don Chisholm. I'm mad and I smell and I'm not going to make any more. Please, Don. <laughs> Do that. That's, that, that's uh, anybody who, who gets both. Quotes that that references gets uh, 50 nerd points. Right. Okay, well, um, they can think about this while they're digesting tonight's topic, which is the news. Or should I say, and now the news. (laughs) Because tonight we're going to be talking about the news. Of course, we're not actually talking about the news news, which means we're not going to talk about how Taylor Swift is wearing whatever and who's fighting with who and politicians suck. We're not going to talk about that. No, we're not. You're going to hear a show talking about the news that is free of references to certain American political figures with orange faces and blonde hair. Um, We're not going to mention him because we're talking about what the news actually is. Although the truth is, when you think about it, Trump was right. Rosie O'Donnell really is a guy. Well, besides that, Mm. um, you know, when Trump calls the uh, media constantly the fake news, he's technically not wrong. Mm. What he doesn't probably realize is that he's correct because all news is fake. Dun, dun, dun. I'm sorry. I have to inform you folks that actually we are a, uh, a colony of uh, slaves in the domination of the reptilians from <laughs> Beta Cassiopeiae and... Everything you thought you knew about this world is a lie. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Or I could go with the idea that the news is actually a curated, fake piece of entertainment and propaganda that basically has, it gives you your heaping helping of lies every day and helps maintain the power elite and the status quo. And if that doesn't sound rebellious enough, keep listening. I'm sure we'll get to it later. All right, so Don, how would you define the news? Uh, this one is tricky because uh, you're, you're kind of hitting around the point with your uh, true cyberpunk speech uh, a couple seconds ago. Power to the people. <laughs> Smash the, the technocracy. Yeah. Exactly. Steal this book. Anyway, um, another world reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what humanity is always one of our, our biggest uh, advantages has been we're communal creatures and part of that is that we can pass information along uh we're not limited by time or location for the knowledge of our species Mm -hmm. and that way the existentialists are totally wrong we don't have to recreate ourselves every morning a lot of that has been done for us right like we can hand down we hand down language we hand down instruction um 
we hand down civilization like you were taught civilization kids aren't born knowing which fork to use when you're eating your oysters Mm -hmm. and part of that is this idea news would be the information that's current and pertinent that gets passed along Mm -hmm. so flint napping an axe isn't news it's it's a skill it's something that's been going on and on and on that a pack of like woolly mammoths are heading towards our village would be news because again it's it's the idea being it's information that's usable now that applies to now that comes from now Mm. i see that but just to counter a tiny bit um even for the say stone age villagers that you're referring to the news itself what news is important and what news isn't important who determines that who's deciding what's important and what's not important see now that's where you start getting into the 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 tricky bits that you were alluding to at the beginning because what you're getting at is that packaging of information Mm, exactly and this is the problem with the news and why I made a reference to the news being fake and that Donald Trump is correct in that weird sort of way he is sometimes, very rarely, is that, okay, so in a Stone Age village, it's very easy to judge kind of what news is probably important or not. I mean, bursts, deaths, you know, storm coming, mammoths on the horizon, whatever, uh, saber-toothed tigers eating people over there. That's probably somewhat mm. relevant. There's not a lot to worry about. But in a world with 8 billion people and stuff going on in every single corner of the world and all kinds of stuff going on in every how do we decide what's important and what's not i mean for a stone age villager not that difficult but once you start scaling that stuff up it very quickly gets out of hand and it simply becomes cherry-picked information yeah it does there's also um you're kind of hitting on another another catch to that Mm -hmm. because again what's determined to be interesting useful and pertinent there's two sides of that Mm -hmm. there's what's typically called the gatekeepers Mm -hmm. who are the people that disseminate the information Mm -hmm. but the audience the consumer also dictates a lot of that too and this is why if you were to go like travel through time and go to one of those ancient cavemen types hanging out in their cave and say kim kardashian met with the president he would probably look at you go because he has no concept of of english at that point but there's also this idea that Mm -hmm. what a celebrity from now does would matter it wouldn't matter he doesn't have the ability to cognate even if you could put it in a language he'd understand Mm. why this really matters Mm. it doesn't really matter now but it definitely would not matter to him it doesn't, and that's part of the catch, because this goes to something that's come up in a lot of our shows that drives me nuts mm-hmm. of of people who are media or entertainment critics, that there's always this idea that they see the audience as a passive thing that reacts to what's given to it. Mm-hmm. And that's totally not true. The audience is an active participant in any kind of media exchange. I agree. Even broadcast media, the audience is actively choosing to engage with it or not. Yeah, and and it applies uh, especially nowadays with with something like like news, mm-hmm. where you've got so many things to pick from. You will actively pick something, and mm-hmm. therein lies part of the problem. 
Yes and no. Well, we can get to that. So why don't we do a t- tiny bit of uh, history of news um, just to give some you know framework for all of this. Um, so the first news source that I know of and what's considered the first written news source is the Acta Diurna or Daily Acts. This was mm-hmm. published by the Roman Senate. I think it might have been Caesar who actually set this up. I'm not 100% sure on that one. And the whole idea was, is that he actually wanted the people to know what the Senate was doing. He thought it was a good idea. Now, this served two purposes. Uh, One, it served to keep the local people involved, the ones who lived in Rome. Um, Mm. And keep in mind, this would also be posted outside and read, because not everyone was literate at that point. Of course, this is ancient Rome, after all. Um, But it was also a way to keep the people in the provinces informed, or at least the the governors of the provinces informed, what was going on in the center. And by doing this, it helped to actually kind of unify the empire because it literally put everyone on the same page, as it were. Okay? Thank you. Thank you very much. Or same same stone tablet, actually, not same, same page, but whatever. So the whole point, again, is that it acted as a unifying force and uh, kept the empire together. And this, they think that this was one of the things that actually helped keep Rome together for quite a while. Because um, Rome did actually have a mail system and other things like that. Um, what's one of the most interesting and funny things, actually, I found about the Act of Diana story, though, was that it started as like this deadly serious list of the uh, events that were happening at the Roman Senate. But then they slowly started to include like little bits of uh, interesting information like celebrity gossip and um, parties and other like just interesting stuff to try to liven it up. And so mm-hmm. by the time the Acta Diurna actually they stopped publishing them on that, it had basically gone from being like the Washington Post to TMZ. Because no one was actually really that interested in the actual boring political stuff. They just wanted to know who was sleeping with whom, who divorced whom, you know, and, and what the latest fashions were back in the capital. Hmm. See, and, and then that goes with, with what I was saying, that the medium adjusted to fit the audience. Yes, it did. So that's there. I think you can go back even further, though, with uh, the concept of news. Of, I've even printed news in a way. Oh, okay, how? I would go back to uh, ancient Egypt, specifically like the obelisks and such. Okay. Because if you remember, they would put the obelisks, a lot of them were about uh, the king, mm-hmm. who was coronated king, uh, what he had done when his family was born. Things like that. That's a lot of the hieroglyphs that you see in the, the tombs and such mm-hmm. as well. But those weren't meant to be seen. But the obelisks would be in like the, the, the city centers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, it was meant to uh it was meant to 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 show who's in charge. And it served that purpose of unifying people, of giving them an idea of how the government worked. It wasn't exactly timely because it took a long time to set one of these things up. And by the time you sent it to the outliers of the community, the king might have already been dead because life expectancy is around 40 at that time. Yeah. And uh, although, again, I would consider that more of a record than the news per se. Um, I mean, the news, I would argue, is like timely, whereas a record of some kind is not. Um, And I think the news has to have that timely quality to qualify as the news. I think you're right, but I think in this case, it's one of those errors where you're starting to see it divulge. Mm, diverge, you mean? Yeah. Six and one, half dozen of the other. Okay, that works too. <laughs> Go. 
you English professors. Sorry. <laughs> but it's it's that idea that you're right that it, it and they were meant to be like permanent until the next guy came along and had them all knocked down. Yep. But it was it was meant to be a permanent record, but it would also make proclamations. And and you couldn't cuz they could make paper, but again it didn't last too long. Those would be more for bulletins that would be sent to temples and stuff. Right, yeah. They had papyrus back then, which I presume is also what the Actaderna were published on because the Romans basically used the papyrus from uh, Egypt. Yeah. Um, until they overused it, at which point it actually went pretty much extinct. And the version they used, I believe. And th- that's one of the reasons why some people claim that the Roman Empire fell, or at least a contributing factor, was that literally their whole media exchange system fell apart because they ran out of paper. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that, I think it's the idea that kind of tying into that, but not that directly is that the big thing that collapsed the empires, they expanded beyond their ability to rule. Hmm. That too. So yeah, the emperor would say something, you know, all oh, them dirty, filthy Celts should start doing this. And six months later, it would actually get to them. And, you know, the one tired guy that made it and told them this to be like, well, whatever, up yours. So, and then the message would go back, sir, he, he says, uh, my Lord, uh, up yours. And then yeah. the messenger would be executed after all that hard work. Um, <laughs> and then Caesar would send out an army to go, you know, crush Asterix and Oblex. Yeah. And, and, and then like, uh, a week after that, not a week, correct? Like six months after the army showed up and then like, we're here to kick your ass for what you said. And they'd be like, for what? I don't remember. That was a long time ago. And we, we don't actually have writing, so we can't remember things more than a week. Well, there we go. But we'll um, fight you anyway. Yeah. Actually, it goes back into, um, okay. So when the uh, printing press came around, because mm-hmm. um, the empire fell and there was the dark ages, etc., etc., which was only dark in Europe. The rest of the planet was actually doing very well. Thank you very much. Um, the uh, one of the things that happened is eventually the printing press or printing technology made its way to uh, Europe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go European here again. They, it came from China. The Chinese were doing all these kind of innovations, but I'm afraid I don't actually know what the Chinese were doing in the way of news back then, or if they really had them. I suspect not. I suspect news was mostly in the form of like proclamations and books and such at that point, but I don't know whether they actually had news. That's something to be worth looking up sometime, but regardless. So eventually paper makes its way to Europe. Um, It's hand copied for a while. And then this amazing device comes along, of course, which is the printing press. Right. And thanks to the printing press, we are now able to start cranking, you know, leaflets and pamphlets and stuff out, which very, very quickly turned into cranking out newspapers. Mm -hmm. Again, the very first newspapers that came out were basically the, they were called currants, which basically means current or current or news. And it was published in the Netherlands, if I remember right. Um, the Netherlands and that they started publishing um, these these information about what was happening in the different parts of Europe. It was basically kind of uh, basically political news. It was basically political right. news. Um, ironically enough, that was fairly shortly followed by one that we have today that was actually a uh, a woman's fashion guide. <laughs> it didn't take long before a woman's fashion magazine popped up. Right. Um, 
And uh, that that's actually true. I'd have to. I, it was only like a decade or so after the Quran started popping up before the first women's fashion magazine popped up, which actually leads us to an interesting dichotomy that happened fairly quickly. And this goes back to what you we were talking about. So very quickly, they diver- there was this divergence that appeared between what were called newspapers and magazines. Right. Okay. Um, newspapers are exactly that. They're basically these timely things that were published usually daily weekly or bi-weekly originally mostly weekly and eventually daily Um, they were published mostly in cities and they were about the most recent happenings that went on but then there were also magazines that started to pop up and the interesting thing about magazines is they were published like monthly quarterly or sometimes even yearly and these were the ones like almanacs things like that they were basically collections of information in fact the word magazine they think is actually a corruption of an arabic word makashin which basically means storehouse. Hmm. They used this as a storehouse of information. So, for example, a magazine would be things like, um, here's how to plant crops. Here's how to, uh, here's the most recent information about farming techniques or things like that. But they'd be stuff that basically was good long-term, like even a year or two later, or maybe decades later, it was still theoretically usable information in most cases. Or it provided you with in-depth focus on maybe some things that hap- were happening. Magazines as we knew them when, in fact, not too different from what we knew when we were young. Don and I, I mean. Mm-hmm. Today's magazines are much more almost quasi-newspapers, which is glossy pictures, really. Because they're yeah. meant to be competing with uh, online stuff. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so well, you got this dichotomy then between the magazine... And the, which with the long-term information and the newspaper, which was the short-term information. And right. that's how news would basically stay, as I just mentioned, literally up until like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, with I think some modifications, of course. Go. Oh, I think I think you can there's an extra step between um but but before the uh the the actual printed paper. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important because I think it's a concept that comes back in modern times. Mm-hmm. And that was, remember, prior to, to, to printing, people would get information from the bards or the scalds or basically wandering entertainers. That's true. And they would, a lot of times through song, they would come up with these little ditties that that carried information of what was going on in, in the world around them. And these guys would travel the land and... Mm-hmm they'd entertain and inform and, and in exchange they get like food and lodging wherever they went. Yep. That's kind of interesting. Cause number one, that idea of news as entertainment is right there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like in that, in that capacity. And the weird thing about it was that in most kingdoms throughout like Europe and even like you go further out to like the Netherlands and Sweden and that, Mm-hmm. There were rules that the authority could not harm a bird. Really? Yeah, that that they had kind of this weird sort of protection. And I think a lot of it just came from the idea that these guys were early celebrities. Mm. And the powers that be were afraid that if they did something to one of these people, number one, Mm. there'd be an uprising. And number two the bards typically played both ends of the fence. So they would also, they'd tweak the king's nose, but not so hard. And occasionally they would carry the information that he wanted brought to the people. Right. Right. That they, they thread that needle. Hmm. 
That makes sense, actually. That makes mm-hmm. sense. And I could see that. Uh, that was definitely uh, news as entertainment, as you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, news was also considered important, jumping forward in time, actually, w- after the founding of the American colonies. It was considered extremely important, not just because it was connecting them with Europe at first, of course, before the revolution. But right. even when they started to think about um, the revolution before and before and after, the people who were running the colonies realized that if they want to unify the colonies, they needed a common source of information. They needed mm-hmm. everyone to be focused on the same ideas and to use that line again, the same page, basically. Right. They needed the people of um, the Americas to all see themselves as one unified whole. And the easiest way to do that was through the news and specifically through newspapers. So one of the early things they put in the Constitution was not just free speech, but if you look, there's actually a reference to the United States government is not allowed to mess with the news. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is they want to maintain this idea of it being free and clear and trustworthy to the people. And they established the Postal Service specifically to spread the news. The United States government, right from the beginning, was sponsoring the Postal Service. They were underwriting it. Because they knew most people couldn't afford it, but they wanted them to still be able to get the news because they wanted them to get the ideas out there, as, especially as America went to revolution and expanded. They needed this thing to stay unified. And the only way they could, felt they could do that, learning from the Roman example, I suppose, was through the news. Mm-hmm. So the thing that most people received in the mail was the newspaper. And that's right. how most of the American colonists and pioneers found out about what was going on and kept connected to the American experience. And this would continue on for most of America's history up until present day. Yeah, I think I think there's two, I don't know if they're catches or addendum to that idea. Because mm-hmm. I think one of it is when you had the, the early colonists to, uh, to, to North America, coming out of that, there was that British tradition of the news. Mm-hmm. And there was still kind of that attitude of, like you said, that the news is sort of its own separate thing and you shouldn't monkey with it. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the big things that happened in uh, in America to that end was Benjamin Franklin. Right. He was a publisher. He published newspapers and books. And I, I can yes. see that. I can see a lot of that being his influence. Yep. Oh, no, it totally was. Mm-hmm. Franklin was a... Very, very smart man. He was a genius. Mm. He really was. And he probably knew the power of information and uh, what it could do for everyone right from the beginning. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was one of the main reasons why that's in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's he used that to uh, to if I remember correctly, he used like the one of his papers there to jack up interest in in revolutionary the, the revolution and independence. I believe Ben Franklin actually founded the first American newspaper. Yeah, there we go. Benjamin Franklin uh, started the Pennsylvania Gazette at age 23. Hmm. He became wealthy publishing this and Poor Richard's Almanac, which he authored under the pseudonym Richard Saunders. After 1767, he was associated with the Pennsylvania Chronicle, a newspaper which was known for its revolutionary sentiments and criticisms of British policies. So there you go. Um, he wasn't. He didn't publish the first American newspaper, but he definitely published a very important one. The Pennsylvania Gazette was one of the very earliest ones. Yeah. Um, and somehow, yes, I don't suspect they talked about um, his fondness for the uh, ladies of the evening. 
Um, <laughs> well, they might have because he was just a, I, I guess overall, he was just like a huge party animal. Yeah, yeah, he was. You wouldn't think that, but apparently he was. No, he's he he's like the grandfather of all nerds. I don't usually think of nerds and uh, party animals as in the same idea, but okay, sure. No, but that's and that's why that's so weird, eh? Because yeah, well, he was also a vegetarian, and he was also a uh, cartoonist. Cartoonist, yeah, he was a cartoonist. Like he was just he was a real nerdly Renaissance man. He really was. Mm-hmm. Yep, he was. I'm trying to remember, was it him and John Adams that, like, would go to Europe and basically go on, like, tours of the brothels of Europe? It oh, might have been. Him and he, someone else did, yeah. He used to go to Europe, too, to do uh, research, because there was a, a story a few years back mm-hmm. that they had uh, one of the places that he had rented. In the basement, they found, like, tons of skeletons. Right, and they think that he was doing like dissection, but keeping it hushed up because back then it was illegal. Oh wow! Okay. It was considered desecrating a corpse. I think that's what it was that, that they found all these like skeletons in the basement, and they think that it was for his time there, him doing like medical research. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll we'll, we'll mm. definitely go with that. Um, but yeah, Ben Franklin's a really interesting dude. Of course, he was a Freemason, so God only knows. Yeah. He also wrote, apparently, um, in 1745, he wrote Advice to a Friend on Choosing a Mistress, <laughs> in which Franklin gives advice to a young man about channeling sexual urges. This letter was not published in the collection of Franklin's papers during the 19th <laughs> century, however, but later on, people found it. The fe- federal court decisions from the late... 20th century cited the document as a reason for overturning obscenity laws, using it to make a case against censorship. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, Ben, he did love the ladies. There's no question on that. <laughs> um, so uh, the news did definitely help to bond together the colonies, and Ben Franklin, again, saw the value of it, and it would continue on. Newspapers, of course, we should note at that time were thin at first, but eventually, especially American newspapers, were huge. Mm-hmm. And they 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 were sometimes like a hundred pages or more, sometimes even more than that, especially the weekly ones. And what was interesting is they were almost like interactive documents. Because people would, for example, have there would be huge letter columns where people would just write in letters and they would all pu- and they would publish them all. Everyone would read them and then other people would write back. And they'd have huge public discussions mm-hmm. in in the letters sections of the newspapers. Dear, they weren't just dear Abby. I slept with my wife's cousin. What should I do? Well, I'm sure there was some of that though. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an American newspaper. Mm-hmm. They also acted as this almost bulletin board in some way. Yeah, and in fact, you could even consider them almost quasi interactive media. This is something most people today wouldn't understand. Is that the newspaper functioned almost like a one-way internet bulletin board like an internet forum in some ways Mm -hmm. where they were posting stuff and then people would write comments in and then the but the comments would appear in the following issue we still kind of do that today and then other people would respond to the comments so it was like you were doing reddit in slow motion but (laughs) over like many issues of a newspaper and people would reprint they would it was just there was an interactive quality to the newspapers yeah. that would eventually disappear as they became more focused on news during the 20th century and that that kind of function got taken over by other forms of media yeah 
but especially for people in the, out in the frontier who are sometimes literally like, you know, many, many, many miles away from anything resembling another, you know, human being, they actually, this was, they actually had this way to communicate that allowed them to still kind of interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And we have this idea of all these people being isolated, but I've heard even here in Canada, it was like that, where the news through newspaper was actually a sometimes daily, but mostly weekly part of people's existence, even on the frontier. Mm -hmm. And usually they got the news within a couple days of it actually being published. And farmers would receive it, small towns out in the boonies and that. They would still receive the news at least as fast as the couriers could carry them anyway. We think of all these people as being like these isolated people, but they weren't as isolated as you think. There was some isolation, especially when she got to the American West, but Mm -hmm. not as much as you'd think. And the news was still a major part of their lives is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think there's two... Again, addendums to the idea of, like, the early newspaper. Sure, go. A one would be, if you go back to, say, Europe, prior to uh, prior to the establishment of the, uh, the American colonies and that, mm-hmm. newspapers were kind of the primary media period of the day. Yes. Um, because of that, there was a lot of competition, especially if you look at, like, England, especially the Victorian era England. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of the news that was, it was trash. Yep. Like it was schlock. It was overhyped. Um, Victorians were weird because people have this image of the Victorians as this repressed kind of people. And in public, they kind of were, but they absolutely loved things that were like lurid, licentious, and vile, as uh, Tom Lehrer might say. Um, mm. And to that end, the newspapers catered to that. Of course. A good example of that would be Jack the Ripper. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. And I use Jack the Ripper because as a serial killer, he wasn't that good. He only killed like six people. Loser. (laughs) Try harder next time. But only six people. American serial killers call that a weekend. Jeez, they're drunk drivers that have accidentally killed more. Very true. But the thing with that was, it was something that they played up that they they a lot of what we think we know about jack the ripper comes from all of these stories because it was big news and right the only reason anybody gave a shit because all the papers jumped on it and built it up yeah they turned it into a legend when it was really just another guy killing people and and it and you're right and it, it ties in in weird ways because he killed people in Whitechapel, and that was kind of the bad part of town so people murdered in bad part of town in Victoria, England, wouldn't normally be news. No. Now, mind you, they were all prostitutes, if I remember right. Which would be even less news. What? That's true. What, they he, did go pretty quick. Yeah. He murdered a woman. Why, that's how I divorced my first wife. That was just kind of how it was back then. The King Henry VIII method. Yeah, basically. So King Henry VIII killed more people. Than, but anyway... <laughs> But, that's true but anyway it's 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 that idea that they played it up the only reason we know about it today is because of that and a lot of the myth and that built up to satisfy this public demand for the scandalous because it one of the ideas that came about was that well he was a high quality gentleman who is like slumming in this area to vent his horrible rage and blah 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 which we have no reason to believe. I know one of the stories was he had to have been a man of education and and uh, and breeding because 
the way that he killed these people and removed their parts, it was surgical and precise, and that showed training and but and no, it didn't, but that story persists, even though there's no mm-hmm. evidence for it. The the people he killed, he just ripped them apart. It's there in the name, Jack the Ripper, not Jack the fucking surgeon. But because the papers would play up these stories, people would just jump on whatever the latest story was. He's a demon, and now, oh, he's a demon. He's some rich Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde guy. Oh, he's like a rich guy. And it 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 shows, in an unfortunate way, that interaction between, you know, media and the audience. Mm-hmm. And kind of going back a little further, one of the things that I find funny, because this is going to come up a few more times today, I suspect. When the printing press was invented, there were protests against it because they thought that writing things down would make people stupid. Socrates thought that too back in ancient Greece. <laughs> yeah, so that, but anytime there's a new media, mm-hmm. there's always one group that says that this is the thing that's going to save humanity, and there's another group that immediately says this is the thing that's going to doom humanity. Yeah, you're right. That'll come up a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of which actually we should start talking about that so eventually the newspaper did have competition in the media realm Mm -hmm. um first there was uh film film came first and film took a little while to catch on as a news media like the very first films that were made were actually documentaries but they weren't news documentaries like for example one of the very first things that people rushed to film once they developed movie cameras in 1890 or so was niagara falls right they started using movie cameras to document everything but they didn't really cotton on to the idea of using it for news for a while right the thing that got used for news very quickly though was radio yeah once radio kicked in in the uh teens basically about 19 well it was invented earlier but 1912 was the big pivotal moment for radio Mm Um, because 1912 was the moment, I'm trying to remember what the exact day was, but basically the short version is the sinking of the Titanic, believe it Mm. or not, was one of the most major events in radio history. Mm. And you might think, why? And the answer is because the Titanic was equipped with, of course, the wireless telegraphy system (laughs) and was actually able to radio other ships at sea for help. And this was something that was actually very new and it made the governments of the world, especially the American government, sit up and take notice Mm -hmm. because war was brewing in Europe and they're like, well, wait a sec, this radio thing could be really important for like ships at sea and for military and everything. So an interesting thing happened. Um, They basically took most of the patents uh, away from Marconi and the other developer of radio um, and they gave them to Westinghouse, mm-hmm. which was an American company. And there were like a couple, basically a consortium of big American financiers who all happened, of course, to be real buddies with the politicians who were doing the taking away from it's, it's a weird coincidence. I know. <laughs> um, but basically they stole radio from its creators, uh, Marconi or, or, uh, Tesla, depending on who you believe. Right. Um, and turned it into, uh, this big thing. Uh, Westinghouse particularly developed it and, uh, it wasn't long before, before radio appeared as an actual news medium. And um, in fact, the very first news radio program was broadcast August 31st, 1920 by station 8MK in Detroit, Michigan, mm-hmm. which survives today as an all news format station, WWJ, under the ownership of the CBS network. So there you go. Actually, Detroit had the very first news broadcast. Huh. 
There were a few others that were also around the world and other places that were experimenting it as well. But generally speaking, the idea of people in, in the early days, they were mostly just reading the newspaper. You know, they would just get the daily newspaper and they would read it over the radio and people would basically listen to it. Right. And that's basically what became the uh, that became the first radio news broadcast. And from there, basically radio very, very quickly started to dominate because people love to hear the news, especially when you got, you know, live on scene stuff. Uh, I've heard, if I remember right, the Hindenburg disaster was also another major radio news moment. Right. Because at that because people heard the disaster live as it was happening. And that made everyone like, you know, a little bit crazy because they thought that this was amazing that they could actually hear such an event happening in real time. Right. Oh, the humanity. Well, Um, there's 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 a catch. You kind of missed a weird step. Oh, I did. Okay, go. Because what happens, one of the reasons radio takes over is because and this is one of the reasons new technology is always seen as somehow inferior because it's too easy is that new technology will typically engage another one of the senses or or engage some other Mm -hmm. aspect of thinking so radio took off because you had sound as opposed to just like words right yes which made it easy makes it more titillating gives you more to work with and then that's the fears that will overshadow the content Mm. because the intermediate step between newspaper and radio is the telegraph Yes, you're right. I did skip over that. Okay, that's true. Um, Which is why when radio first appeared, it was called the wireless telegraph. And I mentioned that because um, because of uh, 1864. Oh, 1864, right. What happened in 1864? 1864 is the first example of spam. Really? Okay, what happened? People used to uh, telegraph uh, dubious investment offers to other countries trying to get a... uh, trying to get people to bite on different kind of scams and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the the first pay, first case of like uh first recorded message of this actually happening was in 1864. Okay. I can't Do we have any more details? Uh for what telegraph Oh, here we go. Which corroborates this tidbit in the date as 1st June 1864 with a scanned typewritten message. To the editor of the Times, sir, on my arrival home late yesterday evening, a telegram by London District Telegraph, addressed in full to me, was put in my hands. It was as follows. Uh, Mr. Gabriel Dentist, 27 Harley Street, Cavendish Square. Until October, Mr. Gabriel's professional attendance at 27 Harley Street will be 10 till 5. I have never had any dealings with Mrs. Gabriel and beg to ask by what right do they disturb me by a telegram, which is evidently simply the medium of advertisement. A word from you would, I feel sure, put a stop to this intolerable nuisance. I enclose the telegram and am your faithful servant, Upper Grosnever Street, May 30th, MP. It'll be Grosvenor Street. Is it Grosvenor? Uh it's Grosvenor. Okay. We have a Grosvenor Street in London. The way you pronounce you you pronounce it like everyone who comes to London, it's Grosvenor Street. <laughs> it's like, no, it's pronounced Grosvenor Street. Right. Uh, I know that because my parents lived there. That's where I lived when I was born. So I know. So I know. Gro- I know it's Grosvenor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had someone do that to me on the. Uh, someone did that to me the other day. I was making an appointment for a doctor's appointment, and she's like, "Oh, well, because we're on Grosvenor Street." It's like Grosvenor Street. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Grosvenor Street. No, Grosvenor Street. Anyway, whatever. All right. So 
Okay, there's a catch to that, though, mm-hmm. which is, tele- yes, there were telegraphs, that's true, but I would put telegraphs under the category of, like, instant messages is basically what they were. Right. They weren't truly a mass form of news. Like, they were a way that the news media, that's true, um, and in fact, the Associated Press was partly formed based on this, the idea of using the telegraph system to actually get news around the world. Like, you had correspondents in different places who would send you news through the telegraph, that's true. Mm-hmm. And you and you republish in the newspaper, but I I like I don't consider the telephone a news system. Yes, you can use it to distribute news if you want to, but it's not a okay. We should we should take a step back actually. Okay. In media, there are actually three forms of media. We say okay, and I didn't come up with this. I'm trying to remember who did, but whatever. Someone smarter than me. Um, it might be Marshall McLuhan, but I don't think it was. Whatever. Mm-hmm. There's uh, three forms of media. There's uh, one-to-one, one-to-many, and many-to-many. Okay. Those are the three types of media, okay? So news, as we're talking about it here, news media are actually one-to-many. Or in modern day, many-to-many, but mostly one-to-many forms, okay? Because right. the idea is that many part is involved. Whereas the telegraph, I would argue, just like the telephone is actually a one-to-one system. So it's not really a, f- a form of mass media. It's because it's only really going to one person and whoever else was listening on the party line back in those days, right. which is most of your neighbors, which, okay, maybe it's almost many to, one to many, <laughs> but still, um, if, if you don't know what a party line is, uh, your loss, folks, that, look it up. That means you're 23. Anyway, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. And so the point, is, again, is that News basically came out of the one-to-many. Right. I mean, that's what we're talking about when we got the Acta Diurna. That's what we're talking about when we get to the newspapers and magazines. And the radio is also one-to-many. Right. Um, many-to-many, by the way, is what we call social media. So, for example, Wikipedia, uh, IMDb, uh, Reddit, I guess Facebook. Um, those are examples of many-to-many where it's going out to many people and then many people can respond back if they want to. And this idea is going back and forth, which we'll get to a bit later. Yeah. Um, but so that's why I didn't count uh, telegraphy as actually being the news okay. I, is because it's generally not considered as such. I, yeah, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. But, but you don't think I'm right? Not entirely. I would say that it was because, again, it was used to send information. Mm-hmm. But... What would end up happening because the equipment was um, tricky to use and super expensive, mm-hmm. it was typically used from um, source to source. So like what we would call like the gatekeepers of the news. Mm-hmm. So something would happen in New York, they would wire it out to uh, to to a, a, a telegraphy station in, say, like uh, mm-hmm. like California. The newspapers in the area would get the information off the wire, which is where that kind of comes mm-hmm. from that term and then they'd write the papers to disseminate it what ends up happening where radio steps in and usurps that in a hurry is because it's quicker and relatively early on everybody mm-hmm. has a radio set up yep that's true you spend the like you know twenty thousand dollars in old timey money to buy this thing bigger than a washing machine to put in your house but you would have one or one of your neighbors would and you'd all gather at their house to listen to like superman or whatever whereas mm-hmm. it was awesome yeah nobody had like home telegraphy studios 
That's very true. And that's where we get into that, you know, many to many thing. Yeah. You couldn't respond back. Well, you could, you'd write a angry letter or whatever, or <laughs> happy letter or whatever. Yeah. And they, and they might read it, but again, it was, again, it was being broadcast to many people at the same time. And as you said, they couldn't really respond back. Yeah. I guess later on they could telephone. Mm-hmm. That could work. And that basically hijacked the news. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next big event in uh, news broadcasting or news dissemination, of course, would be, believe it or not, film. Um, mm-hmm. Film eventually managed to catch on and we got like news serials and such. Yeah. They eventually realized that they could have video news and that was, uh, they were run as... Um, movie series connected with movies and movie serials and such because remember for a long time people went to the movie theater maybe once a week because the movies changed every week and there was like a block of content yeah that they basically showed the best way to describe it if you don't know what happened is basically each neighborhood would have its own theater where all the locals would basically go and there'd be like this maybe five six hour block of content okay and it would basically just run non-stop for a week then after a week, they'd change to a new six-hour block of content. And when I say a six-hour block of content, I mean two movies, a newsreel, a, uh, a comedy show like a Laurel and Hardy or whatever skit, a cartoon, and maybe some other random stuff, including trailers. Mm-hmm. And this five, six-hour block would basically yeah be run nonstop. So imagine if everyone went to a community TV place and you watched like this block of programming and... You could watch it a couple times if you wanted, but it's going to be the same block. Yeah. And then the next week, there'd be a new block of programming. Uh, oh, yeah, and there'd like be adventure serials and early, the equivalent to early television, etc. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the way it was up until TV came around in 1948. Yeah. Um, this lasted for almost 20 years. What? And so this was the early news. Mind you, the news, the newsreels were not really... news in the modern sense they were kind of almost like here's a few important events that are here's video of a few important events that are going on around the world basically (laughs) or that we we think are you know the the stuff that's happening because remember it was also fairly delayed as well yeah i I think though in some ways it was uh a lot like news of today because there was a lot of emphasis on the sensational and the visual and and the spectacle yeah yeah that's true that's true, very true. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Um, well, that because again, it's simulating yet another sense, and mm-hmm. that was the focus, right? It was like here's cool stuff that you couldn't normally see that's happening in different places. Yeah, and it's it's funny to think, like you said, that lasted for twenty years. That lasted longer because I remember as a kid, mm-hmm. you would go to the movies. This is the seventies, and you would get you would get like a, a cartoon or two, and maybe like um. It wouldn't be, you wouldn't get like a newsreel, but you get like a five minute, like educational piece or, or, or like. Yeah, I do. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. 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 So like I say, it it lasted a lot longer than that in some form or another. You're right. I think that, well, I think what they did is they had like a two hour block or something Mm -hmm. and at the theater and then, or whatever. And then they filled it there. There's the movie and then they filled it with cartoons and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And then they, and they kind of, I think they wanted to make it on even time schedules. We eventually got rid of the, all the extras. Yeah. 
Today, actually, things are almost going back to that, though, because if you actually go to see a lot of uh, movies these days, not only are there a ton of trailers, there's a ton of ads, plus there's also uh, public service announcements mm. and a lot of little extra stuff. That extra stuff is really creeping back in. And then there's the pre-movie show that actually runs in most theaters these days. Like Cineplex has its actual... Um, they have little games, little trivia mm. things that they do. All this, these short little... It's this collection of short minutes, short segments that basically run non-stop before a film now. So the film is actually surrounded by other stuff that's basically, again, just a block that's repeated again and again. But we've kind of gone back to that in some way. But, huh. However, of course, when 1948 came around and uh, TV started to become a thing and appear in people's homes, yeah, it quickly very, it very quickly became the case that television, especially TV news, kind of took over. And became the dominant form of news for a very long time. Yeah, it, it kind of did. Because, again, it was that idea. It was more immediate. It engaged more of the senses. I think even though in the 50s, it, newspapers were still kind of prevalent. Yes, they were. And I think it's just because they, they their roots had dug in so deep. Mm -hmm. And, again, too, it took... TVs were expensive. It took a long time. Like, it wasn't until you get to the 50s. Like, say, mid-50s that they were really starting to get common tv sets yes um tv sets are mostly the result believe it or not of one man mm -hmm. do you know what that man's name is uh dwayne johnson no oh. um although if he had <laughs> lived at that time i'm sure he would have it would have been enough mm -hmm. the rock is the rock <laughs> um the actual answer is milton burrow ah okay Okay, so here's what happened. Basically, Auntie Uncle Milty with uh, Texaco Star Theater, okay, in 19, I believe it was 1952, became the most popular thing on the air. Mm -hmm. It became the thing that everyone had to watch. Well, if you, most people at that point, however, still didn't have TVs, but they kept hearing about this Texaco Star Theater thing. Right. And so they started buying TVs in droves just so they could watch Texaco Star Theater. Hmm. And and when I say in droves, I'm talking about the number of TVs went from the hundred went from less than a hundred thousand to millions within a few years. And they mostly credit it to Texaco Star Theater and Milton Burrow. Hmm. There's a reason why Milton Burrow was at one point known as Mr. Television. <laughs> he he actually had that name, nickname, because he was basically the king of TV. Like, if there was a TV on and his show was on, it was on him. Right. Of course, to be fair, there'd be, like, him and two other shows on, so. Well, except it was broadcast all over North America. Yeah. Well, probably not live, but it was broadcast all over North America or shown all over North America. So, you're right. They probably didn't have a lot of competition, but he was one of the main drivers, though. I mean, because they, of course, they brought in big stars for the day. and. Yeah all this comedy stuff he was basically kind of like the first um what would be the well okay first of all Texaco Star Theater was already popular on the radio and then they took it to TV mm -hmm. and then he basically became the first I guess talk show host in a lot of ways but okay. it's a variety show right yeah you see it it's a, you can see clips of it on YouTube some of them are actually pretty funny mm -hmm. he was actually a really good variety show host he really was mm -hmm. and he was um uh, he had a very sharp wit. He was He's a really funny guy. Milton Burrow was already like this weird old guy by the time you know, Don <laughs> and I were aware of him. But in his day, he was actually really, really sharp. He was an impressive comedian. 
Right. And uh, he loved to play with the sensors. If you if you watch the clips, you'll see that. Mm-hmm. You know, because the sensors were a very early thing. I mean, they already had sensors from radio. I should probably explain. Um, Ray, what what we know is the TV broadcast and development system all came from radio. Mm-hmm. They the networks had already developed that during the radio days. And so when TV came around, the big networks of radio, ABC, CBS. NBC, any of those sound familiar, um, basically just jumped right to radio. They basically just jumped right to television. They saw it as the future. And so as an end result, they brought all their systems, including their censorship rules with them. Yeah, because that was something that came out of radio specifically was the idea that the new technology of of radio at the time, Mm. it was seen as potentially dangerous. Yes, it was. Because it was seen that because it had so much influence and it was so far reaching, there were always fears that the other side were going to co-opt it to their own purposes. Yep. Whoever you dictate the other side to be. And that was yeah. that was why they had a lot of regulations. Like newspapers operated under some. Right. But a lot of those were essentially usurped because at the turn of the 19th century to the 20th, um, a lot of the big wigs in the newspaper actually had connections in government and they would take steps to ensure that things weren't that, mm-hmm. that things didn't affect their, their papers. And there was generally a wink, wink, nudge, nudge idea that public morality and public standards would help to tamp down what the papers could get away with. Right. Which in some ways there was some ways there wasn't. It goes with what you were saying that at the time newspapers are more interactive Mm-hmm. So if I published a scandalous photo and people were outraged, I'd hear about it really quick. Yeah, yeah. Radio. Remember, back in those days, they actually even had multiple papers a day. Yeah. Especially in big cities. Yeah, because that was there... your main source of information. Yeah, exactly. Multiple papers a day. Morning edition, noon edition, by evening edition. That was actually a real thing. Mm-hmm. And And these people had a great deal of influence. I mean, that was... Uh, I've heard it said, not unreasonably so, that that's one of the reasons why weed is illegal in the States. Mm-hmm. It was because wasn't Randolph Hearst was afraid of uh, hemp. Yes. hemp could be used to make uh, newspapers, like to, well, to use to make paper. And he had stock in, in the, uh, the pulp trade that made the newsprint that his own papers were published on. And he started this campaign about how the marijuana... The devil's weed was used by those immigrant types to get high and then they'd go crazy and murder all the white people, which is funny if you know anybody who does weed regularly. It's kind of the opposite. <laughs> yeah. But that and that was where when you go to like the, the 20s and the 30s, the whole idea of, of weed being the most evil, vile, terrible thing ever. It comes from that campaign. Really, I'd actually always heard something slightly different. Mm. I'd always heard that it was basically the cotton growers. Okay. Because it was cotton and hemp were rivals for uh, clothing production because hemp can also be used to make very, very durable ropes and a lot of fabrics and such. Mm. And I'd heard that the cotton growers had a stronger lobby and they basically went to the politicians and said, hey, you can use that you know, hemp stuff to get high. And the... Uh, and the government's like, really? Okay. But they neglected to point out that hemp and marijuana are actually cousins. They're not the same plant. Yeah. But they basically kind of tricked the government into banning it in order to 
this is what I'd heard anyway, in order to basically block it. And and by the time anyone figured anything out, it was illegal and the cotton growers were doing great. Yeah, it could be because both of us went to university in the 90s. So we heard a lot about, you know, weed and hemp and blah, blah, blah. So, yep, yep. Um, Actually, speaking of uh, government regulation, I have another story for you. Um, when TV, to go back on track, mm-hmm. first appeared, okay, um, naturally, um, the big boys saw the potential and, and they jumped in, mm-hmm. okay? So so CBS, NBC, uh, NBC, I think also was there back in the Mutual Broadcast Network. Um, they jumped in. And then the very first thing that they did, oh, this is brilliant, <laughs> they immediately turned around and went to the government and said, you know, look what happened to radio. When radio first appeared, everyone put up stations and it just caused chaos. You should really like study and regulate this TV thing properly because it's going to be much more powerful and much more dangerous. And the government said, yeah, you're right. And so what the government did is they put a freeze on new TV licenses and new television stations for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Well, what that did is the big boys already had their stations in place. So it basically gave them time to basically cement their domination in each of the markets where they already had the stations. So that by the time that the license was available again and new stations could start, the big boys already ruled everything. There was no point. Yeah. They'd already locked out competition. Yeah, it's, it's funny when you talk about that, to put things in kind of chronological perspective. Hmm. Because we were kids in the 70s. Yes. And I remember you had the networks, which would be the VHF dial on your TV. And mm-hmm. now everybody in the 30s going, TVs have dials? What? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was what they... VHF? What the hell is that? Yeah, dials are what they had before buttons. And everybody's like, TVs have buttons? What? But, exactly, yeah. But when I was a kid, we had the UHF stations, the affiliates, the syndicates, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think how recent a thing that was when we were kids, because as far as I knew, it had been like that forever. Right. Yeah. Because what you're talking about happens in like the 50s. This was like when our parents were kids. Yeah. Yeah. And then it wasn't until like, I think like the, the 60s, really, 64, 65, that you started seeing like the syndicates and the affiliates. You had that that UHF band. And that was only like, that was like maybe like a decade before we were born that you had this big, this big, and it was a big shift. It was a big change in, in how TV worked, how it was consumed in that. And I always think of stuff like that because people talk about how everything changed with the internet and that, but these changes happen all the time. That's just kind of the nature of things, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like I say, I was amazed when I got older and found out how much of my childhood was actually recycled. Well, yes, most of it. I think we've talked about that mm-hmm. on another show, actually. Yeah. Weird and mildly disturbing. Yeah, well, we I, I consider it kind of a good thing, actually. I mean, I got exposed to a ton of stuff that uh, people a generation before me never would have been. True. That's that's my take on things anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got I, I like to think that I got a I got a good dose of the new and a good dose of the old and that's what gave me a nice balanced healthy diet to grow up on <laughs> of uh, television of course. Right. <laughs> um right. So we should probably continue on our journey with the news. So so we get to TV news mm-hmm. and this is where things kind of go off the rails because continue continue on with the 50s. One of the interesting things that they found was is that 
TV and television humor when in the 50s when it first appeared and even the news was actually very straight-laced and very straightforward mm. because they thought it was their duty to provide what they saw as like the serious news, the stuff that people really need to know mm. and everything like that, okay? And they found, though, as the time went on, they it really loosened up because when TV, when TV first appeared, it was basically being bought by rich people. It was being bought by basically the educated people of society, the people that could afford a television set because they weren't cheap. Mm-hmm. But as television sets became cheaper, you know, those whole that made in Japan crappy boxes and things like that, um, they very quickly started to, well, to be blunt, dumb down television. Mm-hmm. Like when, when TV first started, it was kind of like PBS. And then very quickly it turned into Fox. Mm-hmm. Because they realized that they kind of had to aim for, you know, the lowest common denominator. And the, that lowest common denominator kept lowering. <laughs> um, and so that's one of the reasons why in the early days of TV news, you had Walter Cronkite. And you had those um, early TV news broadcasters who were definitely very serious. They wore a suit. They were very straightforward and were, were, were laying it on the line. This is the way it is. Yeah, there's... But, there- uh, there's a catch to that, though. Well, part of it is that they represent the establishment, and they also are supposed to be serious. I know that. Well, there's that too, and 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 again, this this is going to be important mm-hmm. in another like in our timeline because right now you're you're talking fifties and sixties, early sixties. Mm-hmm. When we get to the eighties, this becomes important. But for a lot of the networks, uh, mm-hmm. their news department was a prestige thing, right? That. The idea of having the news department was you could break big stories and you could hold up your, oh, our guy, Bob McKenzie here, broke the big story on this. And this is good journalism and informing the public and blah, blah, blah. They weren't commercial. They weren't expected. Like your news department would typically lose money. Hmm. Uh, This was one of the problems that the newspapers had from the beginning was that because a newspaper was just a newspaper, you needed money. You had to sell papers. You had to sell ad time, which meant you had to sell papers. So ultimately you had to sell papers. Network news in the fifties and the sixties was different because you had a captive audience. Right. They, 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 they had to watch there. There was Mm -hmm. three channels and if something big happened, they were all covering it anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was, it was that idea. Integrity was something you could, I'm going to say you could afford. Mm-hmm. Because the the monetary cost of research and field agents and all that was subsumed by the rest of the network. It wasn't expected that, you know, I'm Walter Cronkite and I'm here to report on the disaster with our new space colony. But before then, let me say that Polydent is fantastic for... You didn't have any of that, really. Right. Well, you had some, but it was very minimal because, again, the idea was the news was... Like you said, that was the highbrow, that was the important, that was the intellectual, and then all this like stupid comedy and melodrama shit was just there for the rubes. Right, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Although, again, the news, slowly they began to realize that the news was a form of entertainment, if it wasn't already, and they slowly began to make it more for a general audience as time went on yeah there was that i think what happens there is um not fairly early on but when you get into the 60s you start getting like political comedy 
mm-hmm. is a big thing, especially on like television. Right. Especially the 60s was like a big era of change. And I think what you started having networks doing is they were in that weird, awkward spot that they realized that there's a market for edutainment, I guess you'd call it. Mm hmm. Yes. But they didn't want to exactly dumb it down. And this is why, like, somebody like, say, the Smothers Brothers caught so much hell. Mm-hmm. Because they were doing political comedy. They were going against the establishment, which the old guys running the network would find weird and mildly disturbing. They were expressing values that the old guys running the network wouldn't share. But they knew that the young people wanted this kind of stuff. So there was that toss-up. Mm-hmm. And again, for a long time, I think it's like you say... It's not necessarily that they did dumb down the news, but they really wanted to, but they couldn't quite figure out how to do it. Hmm, <laughs> that makes sense. Mm. Well, don't worry, that got fixed. Um, <laughs> because we hit the 70s and the 80s. Right. Um, in the 1970s, of course, things really started to change. I believe in the 70s, uh, there was some shakeups with the whole networks and such. And so suddenly the news was expected to kind of start making a profit. I think that's when that kind of came in. I'd have to double check that, but I think that's when that happened. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't during the 70s, it was definitely during the 80s. Yeah. Um, and also something else happened in 1980, if I can go there. Mm-hmm. June 1st, 1980, CNN yep. started. Yep. And... CNN was a major event in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know what's funny, though? Go watch, if you can. You can see CNN's literally opening moments uh, and its opening broadcast on TV, uh, on YouTube. And if you see it on YouTube, uh, what you'll see is is that their opening broadcast is they're reporting about a shooting on a train. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're very CNN's opening story, very first story was about a shooting. That's because yeah. that's you know if it bleeds, it leads. Well, that's CNN, folks. Um, it's it's always been that way, and I think one of the things is CNN truly because they were a twenty four hours news network. They literally existed to sensationalize the news. That basically because they had to fill all that time, and well, at least at first they probably did try for some actual education education part in that edutainment it just slowly went away over time yeah i mean the cnn you know today folks is not what cnn has always looked like not to you know because i'm not going to completely down on cnn at one time they actually kind of did real journalism (laughs) sort of um okay well we'll get to that in a sec what is real journalism we we should cover that and we'll we'll, we will get to in a sec although i should note that um i was mentioned to don before the show there is actually two cnn's this is something that most people don't actually realize Mm -hmm. there's cnn and there's cnn international cnn is basically this at this point anyway a collection of news readers in a like um in a you know, trailer park in Atlanta, not literally, but might as well be, um, who basically just look pretty and read the news. Right. You know, that, they, that they've gotten off the internet and associated press. I mean, that's pretty much all they are, right? Um, <laughs> and their ratings reflect this. Um, as opposed to Fox, of course, which is in some trailer park in California. But anyway, whatever. Um, but the point is, is that, however, CNN International is a whole other ball game. It's actually based in a bunch of international studios 
and it's basically an English language world level uh, news network. Um, mostly focused on like business community. It's mostly focused on business and politics. Mm -hmm. So it's much more serious and you can tell because they all have British accents. <laughs> yeah. I, I think though, there's a couple things that happened before CNN. Okay. That I, they kind of set the stage. Okay, go. Uh, and it was because a big thing that happens in the seventies was Watergate. True. And a big thing that Watergate did was kind of, um, I guess, reaffirm the public's faith in the news. Because mm -hmm. the idea was if you could break the scandal that affects the highest seat in the land, then, you know, and, and it was, again, considered that if you could reveal, like, the, the dirty dealings of the, the, the most powerful person in the nation, that this behind-the-scenes sort of stuff is something that people need to see. It also showed that the news was both trustworthy and had power. Yeah. It like it literally gave the news power. Yeah, it implied that, but it kind of creates this weird kind of schizophrenic double think. Mm -hmm. Because there's also that idea that the 70s people were having their doubts about the media in general. Because the, the, the chaos and that of the 60s and going into the 70s, there was very clearly a bias with your major news outlets kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like we say, they kind of wanted the status quo. They didn't like these upstarts. They didn't, didn't like, uh, you know, anything that offended the sensibilities of like the old guys that ran the network kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you, you had that weird, that, that weird, I guess interplay would be, be the thing where, where journalists were seen as heroes, but the news in general was seen as villains. Hmm. You're right. That is a weird double thing. Yeah. And because in that era, there's a lot of stuff from that era. Two big examples I can think of is going back to half of the uh, quote that I opened the show with. Mm -hmm. If you remember the TV show Network. That wasn't a TV show. It was a movie. That's right. It was about TV, though. So that's and that idea. OK, close enough. Yeah. That idea of network, ironically, was about the establishment of a fourth network that was just news. And it was about this interplay between the old guard journalists who were seen as like heroes getting at the truth and mm -hmm. the new guard news that was about selling ads and getting eyeballs and covering the scandalous. Yep. And then that was the same thing a few years later, if you remember uh, Don Henley's song, Dirty Laundry. Yep. That's exactly what that song is about. It's about. You know, like like the line says, we all know that crap is king. Well, that was that attitude that was starting to brew up because people remembered the unrest of the 60s and how a lot of activist types weren't covered, I guess, fairly. And a lot of things were glossed over in that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's true. And then that's what you get going into the 80s. And the big thing with CNN was it was a network that just did news. And because of that, they had to make money doing the news. And then I, it goes back to that old newspaper thing. Right. Also, maybe there's one major event that you were planning to get to, yeah. which was, of course, the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah. Because Vietnam War was, among other things, known as the first television war. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason it was known is because each day people got to see live news broadcasts from Vietnam, which basically was about how horrible things were going over in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the war that taught the United States military that they basically had to control the message or they were screwed when it came to war. Yeah. Actually, there's something before that even, now that you mention oh, it. Oh, wow. We're really going back in time. Okay, sure. Go. Because if you remember a few years before that would be mm-hmm. the uh, the Nixon-Kennedy debate. Right. And w- Wow, we're really jumping all over the place, aren't we? Because mm-hmm. um, if it, what happened with those is, uh, well, if you've seen The Simpsons, the one where Mayor Quimby is running for re-election, it's, it was basically that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Kennedy, he's this young guy. He's like photogenic. Nixon's this old guy with giant jowls. And as I recall, the day of the debate, he was actually sick. Mm-hmm. Like he had the flu really bad. So he, he he did not look healthy. He 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 wasn't, you know, he was not photogenic to begin with. This didn't help at all. Right. At the end of that debate, they asked people who, who they thought won, like people in the crowd, like in the public. People who mm-hmm. saw it on TV said Kennedy won hands down. People who listened on the radio said that Nixon won hands down. Mm-hmm. And that put that idea out that television is this thing, like you were we were saying with, with Vietnam. Because mm-hmm. Vietnam wasn't, you, it wasn't necessarily the horribleness. It wasn't necessarily the right or wrongness of it. But people would see firsthand what happens in war. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people were not, familiar even after world war ii that kind of thing the only thing you would really film would be like our brave fighting men shooting the big guns and then the big pile of dead nazis like that's what Mm. film reels would cover you wouldn't necessarily show the nuts and bolts nitty-gritty of it and that gave people that idea and it started making everybody wonder and i think this is where something like cnn happens on one hand it's that idea that there's a lot of info we're missing that people should have it and on the other Mm. hand there's the people should not have that because they're not going to interpret it correctly, i.e. how we want them to. And we got to mm-hmm. do something about that. And I think that's a big part of it. Mm. And actually, just to completely screw this up for one sec, um, you mentioned about the idea of uh, the protests and that of like the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think that did make, play a big part of it because, as you said, the people were you had all these people that at the time they were, you know, the baby boomers, they were the young people, the generation, huge numbers of them were there when this stuff went down. Mm -hmm. And then they got to see a twisted version of it portrayed on the news that night or not at all. And so you had all these university students who literally got to watch the truth twisted before their eyes. And that really tainted their view of the news. And they truly came to realize that, well, wait a sec, the news is not really giving us, the real story it's giving us what the establishment wants us to think man and and it's true and and you're right because um i think back we were born kind of near the tail end of this mm-hmm. like early to mid 70s and i had two relatives that were really mm-hmm. really big on on social issues kind of thing mm-hmm. and this is one of the reason i know so much about this because you're right about talking about that because one was my mother and my mother used to do a lot of like charity work and and stuff like that so she was like a, a social activist in that regard right and then i have an aunt that was like a social activist in more like the weatherman kind of of way 
Mm-hmm. And again, she would talk about that, that no, that's not what happened at all. No, that's not what that guy said. No, that's not how it happened. Here's a copy of Steal This Book. You'd better read it kind of thing. And right. and that was where a lot of that, um, th- that you're right, that there was a lot of people realizing that's totally not what was what was going down. Well, have you actually had that experience in your own life? Let's just stop for a moment. Have you actually had an experience where you saw an event happen or whatever, and then the news portrayed a different version of it? I can give you a really good example. Okay, go ahead. Uh, do you remember Ross? Not really, no. Ross Konopaski, he was like one of the guys we hung out with. He was really big back in the day, in the early days of live role-playing. Mm-hmm. So he used to to host these big Vampire the Masquerade games, live action. Right. And he did a big one and he actually got like one of the local like papers to to cover it. Right. And we were there and that we were playing and the article that came out was essentially how what a bunch of weirdos these people are who think they're vampires and oh my god they're out there on the streets at this very moment kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which is totally not what it was and having been there it was mostly just a bunch of guys that wanted to dress funny and goof off except for Doke who won best costume by just dressing how he dressed every night. Right. So. Okay. I Yeah. Okay. Well, that I think that's a beautiful example. Mm. Um, mine that I experienced, and this was, I guess, yeah, got me is when I was uh, living in Taiwan um, back about, what, 15 years ago or whatever. Um, and then there would be events that would happen like we'd have an earthquake or we'd have a typhoon or whatever you know stuff like that would happen and then i'd hear about it like the day next day my parents would call in a panic oh we heard there's a big earthquake in taiwan and it would be like yeah 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 there was a little it shook a little bit (laughs) you know a little bit we heard there were riots in the street there was a major protest and it's like uh yeah there were a few people down around main station i guess you know maybe 100 200 people or whatever and but the thing is you know the international news was portraying all these events that was ha- that were happening in taipei as like big these big things and yet that that wasn't the way it was at all they were you know they were just like filling they were trying to create natural disasters and events where there weren't any hmm. And so that got me. Actually, the weird part was is that it, I've also seen the reverse happen, mm-hmm. um, where in Taipei we had a uh, a one where literally half a million people showed up. There was a, there was an event. It was a political protest that happened while I was there, literally while I was there. I actually got to experience what it was to be in like to be in a crowd with half a million people, which is really really scary. By the way, <laughs> the answer is it's it's fucking scary. Um, if you are claustrophobic, I do not recommend. I'm not even claustrophobic, but I was that day. Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that. But then nobody outside of Taiwan talked about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, so when when stuff happened that suits their agenda, or they think that you know can be a spectacle, they will you know blow it all out of proportion. But when something really big happens, sometimes they just ignore it. They'll do their best to pretend that it never happened if it's not useful to them in one way or another. Yeah, and I, I think you hit on, um, and this is something that you really start to see uh, once CNN and the 24-hour news network thing takes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day when we were kids, if there was an earthquake in Taipei, we'd never know about it because we don't live in Taipei and the news wouldn't bother reporting it. 
Exactly. But when you get 24-hour news, you need to fill that time. Mm -hmm. And any kind of disaster overseas that you can somehow link locally, as locally as possible, Mm -hmm. or that's visually spectacular, Mm -hmm. it'll get like a story. It'll get a segment. Um, Anything like, say, a political protest will get a segment if somebody sets fire to a car or something. Or if Mm -hmm. they're protesting America or, or that. But mm-hmm. it won't be if it's like a local thing. It, there's a good chance it won't even be mentioned because, like I said, the audience is an active participant in the process. So the networks want to frame off to maximize eyeballs. They want to frame it off in a way that's going to register with the viewer. Mm-hmm. Spectacle always does. If you can have like a mountain of bodies in a burning city, that's great. That's that's anyone can watch that and understand. It's like a Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. If they're protesting a political party and it's just like guys marching, it's like, well, who who are they protesting? The uh, Democrats or the Republicans? Oh, they're depre- protesting the uh, East City urban block of whatever. The what? I don't know who the hell that is. Fuck it. What's on uh, the other channels? Mm-hmm. Unless like a car gets set on fire or a cop gets punched, then you can you'll see that footage over and over and over because that's exactly yeah because it's visually stimulating. And that's the thing, right? They're going not with the best stories. They're going with the most visually stimulating stories and the ones that they can package the best. Yeah. And I... I to, oh, go ahead. To whatever their media needs are. Yeah. I, I definitely think that really takes off with the establishment of the 24-hour news network. Yeah. Absolutely. Because um, it basically exists to be spectacle. Yep. I mean, that's what it's there for. Remember, of course, the 24-Hour News Network is also a national and international news network, originally national, yeah. and then later international. So they're not focused on local news. They're not focused on local stories, well, like local news is, obviously. Yeah. They're focused on like the big picture, which, of course, lets them focus on the spectacle, mm-hmm. like the really cool stuff that's happening all over the place. And as I said, CNN opened with a shooting on like a Washington, D.C. train. <laughs> I think it was an Amtrak, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And so... That's they didn't have video footage of it, but it was still a spectacle. It was still an event. I mean, yeah. believe it or not, even in the nineteen seventies, okay, yes, people did get shot every day in America, but the point is is that it didn't happen on an Amtrak train all the time. Right. Well that's that's <laughs> and that, the novel that, twist. that was the spectacle element. Yeah. Sorry, go. Yeah, that's like the, the novel the novel twist you use on it, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, the trains are supposed to be safe, but apparently not. Again, remember also CNN was targeted towards middle class and upper middle class viewers because that's who had cable back then because cable was a new thing. Yeah. And so, again, they were targeting it towards that. Well, who takes an Amtrak train? Mm -hmm. Um, As it goes back to what you just said about um, it being an interactive process, they're always targeting it towards whoever they think their viewership is. Yes. When so Don, when do you think punditry first appeared? Well, what ends up happening to deal with the uh, thirty-ton elephant in the room? Hey, don't talk about Jumbo's weight. That's fat shaming. <laughs> I've I've seen a few articles over the years that one of the problems that American journalism has, and it comes out of the twenty-four hour cable news, is that in essence, Fox News destroyed American journalism. And it's not because of a political bias. Mm -hmm. What they did that kind of ruined things, because they did it first, nobody else had the nerve to try it, was they flavorized the news. 
Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, I think we've talked about this on, on like our, uh, our culture war profiteering episode. Mm-hmm. Probably. Prior to then, the idea was that news was just, they would just present you the story. Here's the right. fact. Here's what happened. They, they generally, they didn't, but that was the goal. That was what people shot for. Mm-hmm. Fox News takes off and they say, fuck it. And all of their talking heads suddenly had personality. Mm-hmm. So you could watch and like Bill O'Reilly was the old angry guy. Sean Hannity mm-hmm. at the time was the young angry guy. You know, they they mm-hmm. would have like specific pundits that would come on. And this, I think, is what you're mm-hmm. getting at. That were people that they were professional opinion people. Right. They weren't journalists. They They had something to say. They had a clue what was going on. But they weren't journalists and they weren't held to that standard of just impartially presenting the facts. Right. And they Yeah, they were entertainers. Yeah, and they ran with it and they became like the biggest news thing ever until John Stewart, which is true and weird, but cuz he wasn't we'll, a new We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. yeah. But that was what happened and then once that took off, everybody realized mm-hmm. we can kind of do the same thing. We can start instead of just bringing the news, we can look at them as an audience and apply the techniques entertainment does of divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Who are our audience? Who's our demographic? What can we do to appeal to them? Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of what really destroys the news and the effects of which we're still kind of living with today. Well, I don't think the internet helps, but um, we, but be that as it may. That's the next you disaster. Know, <laughs> that's the next disaster. We'll get to that in a sec. Mm. One of the reasons I wanted to bring up pundits is there, there's an interesting idea that goes with pundits that I've read. I'm, I don't remember who said this. I wish I did. Um, it's not my idea, but short version is this, is that pundits exist, at least partly, because people don't want to think. People are lazy. Mm-hmm. So they want someone to basically chew the news up because like the world is a big crazy place with all kinds of stuff happening and everything and they want someone to literally pre-digest the news for them and then feed it to them like a mother feeds it to a baby bird Mm -hmm. basically and that's basically what pundits are they exist to tell you how not just what's going on but how to think about it as well and they're and they're also choosing the stories that they know will best stimulate you and serve your point of view Mm -hmm. And reinforce that point of view, whatever that is. Right. So they're a heaping helping of the news, um, whatever emotions you want to feel and that they think you want to feel. And also they're kind of reinforcing whatever your perspective and whatever your worldview is. Mm-hmm. All at the same time. Thus we have Fox News. Well, you get a lot of news. It's it's well yes it's most of it is this way. I mean yeah. I don't think all local. I think local news is not that way. For the most part, at least not local Canadian news. I don't know about local American news, but local news is still not quite that bad. Yeah, because it usually well because it most of the time it can't be. Mm. Like it, it's it's really hard. Like if there's a, a a pothole in like twelve mile that blocks the entrance to the road, it's really hard to blame that on Obama or Trump or the lizard people because people mm. local people don't give a shit. They just don't want to drive over this hole. They want to know who's going to fix it. That's all that they care Mm -hmm. about. But as you said, for national news or international news, especially national news, it's all entertainment, all pundit, all the time. 
Yeah, I think what happens with that too is it ties in with something that comes up on on uh, a lot of our episodes. That human beings think in story. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. And what, especially the 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 big twenty four hour networks, which, like you've said, they're they're more they're more countrywide. They're not they're not local. Mm-hmm. Like CNN doesn't cover like you know the Smith Children's lemonade stand on the corner unless something like that ties into the current narrative happens there right but because we think in story they always try to frame off news in for the form of a story mm-hmm. yeah so there's always like a beginning a denouement one of the things that you get that kind of bugs me is there always has to be a villain mm-hmm. and there always has to be a hero right and sometimes there isn't either, but they will try to frame stuff up. So if something happens, a bridge collapses, who's at fault? Was it terrorism? Was it the government? Who did this? Somebody had to do it. It's not just that the bridge fell apart. Right. And, Someone has to be responsible for it. There has to be a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, any story, no matter how, there's always that, that prime thing is whose fault is it? always right and then what they'll typically do is when you start getting to the nuts and bolts because one of the things the 24-hour networks do is once they've got the story they think you're interested on they will beat that drum for days well if it's a big enough story yes oh if it's not they'll make it big enough if it's a slow enough news week that's true and then yeah part of that is they get into into this idea of you know who's at fault who's to blame it branches into whatever their overall narrative is. So if if you're mm-hmm. a lefty network, then you're going to blame whoever the current big conservative is. Mm-hmm. If you're a righty network, you'll find some way currently to blame Obama for it, whatever it is. But Obama's not even in office it, anymore. It doesn't matter. It's because <laughs> that's the current popular liberal to hate. Right, that's true. And you'll you'll if you're a centrist, I find what the more centrist stations have been doing is just blaming everybody. Yeah, yeah. And that would be P- PBS. Well, there's any like any of the 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 more more centrist ones. Like I I think it's it's funny if you you catch any CNN because mm-hmm. they're just fucking screaming at everybody now. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter like if you're left, right, center from Mars. If you have nothing to do with the issue, somebody's going to be in your face about whatever it is you said. Mm-hmm. Our new brand of cookies, we think, are going to... Well, how can you say that these cookies are better than blah? And Chris Cuomo's head explodes and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, well, again, yeah, it's about trying to drum <coughs> motion, right? Well, That's what they're always trying to do, generate emotion in the audience. Yeah, emotion and, and like I say, to fit whatever the uh, the current narrative is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it, it gives people that warm glow. And the nice thing nowadays is... Like we said, you know, in a couple episodes now, because there's so much media available, and that's the nightmare of the internet causes that mm. you can get exactly the perspective you want, which means you're not really learning anything. You're just having what you already believe reinforced. Hmm. Well, that's the whole idea. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, let's shift to the internet. So. One of the reasons why one could argue is that uh, Fox and CNN and everything had to go extreme and had to go down the route that they're going, they would argue anyway, is the internet. Mm -hmm. Because among other things, the internet has stolen the money that existed out from under uh, most other forms of news, be it television news, radio news, newspaper news, doesn't matter. 
the internet basically stole the money from it because the problem is is that people get want to get their information from the internet these days and the internet provides it for free mm-hmm. yeah whether they want it to or not and lots of news companies like new york times or financial post or whatever yeah lots of them are putting up paywalls or they're like oh you get five free articles a month or something like that yeah most people know how to get around that or use like you know some kind of uh add-on on their browser or something like that mm-hmm. to get around that stuff people still this is the great irony people want news they're pretty sure they need it but they're not willing to pay for it right <laughs> and they've gotten used to not paying for it and those ads don't pay for it no and in fact that's what killed newspapers was effectively the fact that their ad sections got replaced by ebay and craigslist yeah which were cheaper and more effective and basically did the job well i mean the truth is that it was the classified ads that actually paid for your local newspaper in a lot of cases and as soon as they died so did the paper yeah it just wasn't worth keeping anymore not from a financial perspective and this has made newspapers endangered. But the problem is the newspapers were the ones that were actually doing all the real journalism. You, do you think that uh, most internet quote-unquote news sites actually do journalism? <laughs> now, this is one of the things that pisses me off these days. And this is because I see this again and again and again. And it's especially bad in entertainment journalism. Mm-hmm. But you'll see it in some others as well. Where what you'll see is you'll see a headline and then basically the whole story is basically about one Twitter post. Okay. (laughs) But they'll write, say, three or four hundred words of commentary before the post, which includes a summary of the post and a few different kind of a little background of the post. Then they'll give you the Twitter post. Then they'll write another 300 words of the post, post, post (laughs) of the post commentary about the post that after that and then they'll say and what do you think let us know and they'll give their, you their twitter handle right and i this is driving me nuts because i was recently on vacation so i was reading a lot of news and my um google news app kept giving me all these stories and these stories kept being this format right. it would be like one thing one line of information that a guy said somewhere on the internet and they'd build a whole story around it and this is something that's been driving me batty mm-hmm. now i know where it's coming from it's because what's happening is you have all these different in air quotes here news sites throughout the internet <laughs> right now mm-hmm. that are basically they're just looking for content that will drive clicks and drive eyeballs because there is some money in internet advertising especially when you get clicks and such and they want to drive internet traffic so what they do is they pay all these content writers they're not actually journalists folks they're content writers Mm. who basically their job is to go in and they have to produce a certain amount of content each day that they get paid for and they have to produce it of a certain length etc so what they're becoming very skilled at doing is grabbing these tiny tiny little things that they know people are mildly interested in or connected with something going on right now and then turning it into a pseudo story that they're going to feed you right that literally is about one sentence of information and they'll they'll gloss it up with like a linked youtube video that has that's tangentially related and there might be some (laughs) other twitter posts that are tangentially related to this thing it's fucking insane sorry for swearing but it is it's completely (laughs) insane and now the internet is like filled with this stuff like filled with it and the only 
companies that are actually doing real journalism at this point are mostly um, a handful of newspapers that exist and a very, very small number of online journalism sites and the Associated Press is actually still doing journalism, believe it or not. Um, and they're being supported by the few other news outlets that still exist who are paying them for it. Yeah, but you know what? There, There's an extra component that kind of leads to that mm-hmm. that you can think of as the last nail in the coffin, as it were. Right. Which is the idea of the uh, the citizen journalist, which is person with camera. Uh-huh. And that was a thing that took off early days of the Internet. Once everybody had a mm-hmm. cell phone, it super took off that somebody will film something and mm-hmm. then send it in. And a lot of times you don't have context. Yep. You don't know what's going on. You're getting like, like, say, 30 seconds of, of an altercation that lasted for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it goes up and then everybody flavorizes it for whoever they think their audience is. Yep. That's another example of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. People are just grabbing stuff, sometimes out of context, turning it into quasi news stories to support whatever their perspective is or whatever agenda they're, they're hawking. Mm-hmm. And then they, and they throw it up and, and then the news aggregators and the news sites that kind of grab all this stuff, they'll grab it because they know, Google is especially bad for this. I, I don't know if you know this. If you, You'd have to have a Google like uh, Android phone to know this. Mm-hmm. But Android kind of comes with its own indirect built-in, at least the newer versions do, uh, news app, basically. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it starts coming up with a news thing based on whatever searches you do using your phone. Yep. And it will it will start picking the topics that it will give you aggregated news from based on all of this based on all your Google searches. And so now maybe that says a lot about my Google searches, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that um, I try to have a variety of them. Well, I'm trying to have more variety now because I realized what's happening is that it's giving me the most clickbaity versions of whatever it can find that I, that I seem to be interested in. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's driving me, uh, that started driving me batty after a little while, is that it's, yeah, they're the most clickbaity versions, by which I mean the, the title is designed to get you to just click on it, because that's all they really care about, because that yeah. help, helps up their ratings and so they can charge more to advertisers. That's all they want, folks. Yeah, but remember how a Google search, the algorithm it uses to pick what it gives you, it starts with the thing that it finds related to your search that's most popular mm-hmm. and then it presents mm-hmm. you in in popularity right declining popularity so even right off the bat you're not necessarily getting content you're you're getting whatever it is people who have an interest in this thing you looked up to are associating with that thing yeah exactly so that's why i'm getting the most clickbaity stuff because what's happening is it is the stuff that's getting the most clicks mm-hmm. It's the stuff that people are clicking on the most. So it just assumes that that must be the best or highest quality or the stuff that I'd want to see, which is usually not the case. Yeah. Um, so, wow, it's a, it's a perfect democratic news machine mm-hmm. because what it's really doing is it's giving the people what they really want. <laughs> it's truthiness. And kind of, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's literally. Speak- do you remember that bit? I do, but... It's stuff that feels true. It doesn't matter whether it really is or not. Yeah. Is that it? Truthiness. Yeah. That was the yeah, same. Exactly. Because that was Colbert went on about Wikipedia was brilliant because it democratized fact. 
Mm-hmm. And then he went on to save the African elephant for being endangered by 10,000 people posting that the African elephant was no longer endangered. So now it's a fact because it's on Wikipedia. Right. Okay, so we should probably talk about, and we can finish here because we'll, we'll run out of time soon. Um, let's talk about Jon Stewart and Colbert. Okay. <laughs> so how did they transform the news media, Don? Well, I'll talk specifically about, well, there's a weird Colbert thing that kind of kind of bugs me. But Jon Stewart's the important one because the Daily Show came out and it was a comedy bit. It was a comedy mm-hmm. variety show. And it was mostly like, uh, kind of like, uh, TMZ with jokes. Yeah. When when Stuart took over, mm-hmm. he was more interested in, in the news and current events, and he swung things that way. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the show got really popular, and for a lot of people, it became their primary source of news. <laughs> yes, it did. And that's why I wasn't kidding when I said that that was the only thing that that, that superseded Fox News as the most popular and I'm doing air quotes news source mm-hmm. for folks in like North America. And it's an interesting case. Cause I saw an interview with him a little while ago where he's actually really sorry for that mm. because he always maintained he's a comedian. Yeah. That he's not a journalist, but people in their minds made that shift because it looks like news. It's given me some info and it's entertaining. So it, it must, it must be real. Right. So it goes back to where we started. He's a bard. Yeah. And it's funny on the other side, I saw like a couple of interviews with Glenn Beck mm-hmm. who feels the same from the right-hand side of the fence. Interesting. That he, he kind of feels that his, his shtick with the giant conspiracy map and crying and all that somehow added to people getting stupider because the same effect that you had with John Stewart. Well, it looks like news. Mm-hmm. I feel like I learned something and it, it makes me feel good. So it must be news. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And neither of which is actually true. Cause yeah. what you need is actual usable information. Mm-hmm. But then again, to go back to what, where I started, it's all fake anyway, because it's also curated and also designed to, um, express a certain point and to maintain uh as the romans were trying to do the establishment Mm -hmm. and to join us all together into a society which may or may not be a real society it's it's literally um trying to control the story of what our society is our public consciousness it doesn't it often isn't real and it doesn't matter whether it's real or not or maybe it does i don't know um it the news is literally a shaped construct Mm -hmm. it's a uh it's no more real than any other story that we tell ourselves. Maybe a little more real than Star Trek, but probably not much. <laughs> well, it it can be because again, like I we were saying, the the, the journalistic ideal was mm-hmm. always to just impartially present what was going on, and part of maintaining that status quo mm-hmm. ties in with the idea of knowing your audience. Right. That back in the day, the idea was that the people who were were reading your paper that were interested in the status quo. Mm -hmm. And then that was why you had the, the, the early form of citizen journalist was what you had Mm -hmm. say in like the fifties and especially the sixties. Right. Where you had like the, the counterculture types, they were often referred to 
that mm-hmm. would present these other sides, these other perspectives. That was where um, you had zines would start up. Mm-hmm. You had like the small press papers and that. That would be, you know, the, the counterculture types expressing the other side of the story or, or pointing out what they think sh- people should take away from it. Mm-hmm. And then that but, continues today because that was, if you look a lot of like uh, AM radio, mm-hmm. like like the, the quote unquote talk radio mm-hmm. is a lot of that, those citizen journalist types. <coughs> um, you look at like podcasts are that yeah. same thing. Um, the interesting thing is podcasts seem to appeal more to the left, the radio, the, the talk radio to the right, if you want to divvy it up political left and right. Mm-hmm. And it runs into that thing where there are people on those those media that are doing good journalism, but then a lot of it is also just bare-assed punditry. And it's, diffi- yeah. it's difficult to know. Like, from our angle, we don't know really who's full of shit and who's, like, giving you the goods. And that leads to the probably the best question for us to finish on today, which is how do you sift through all this if this is all basically different levels of lies propaganda and punditry what should we do should we just ignore the news or how should we find good news or stuff that's useful on the internet there's one easy way Mm -hmm. um if you see any kind of headline or or banner that says anything to the effect of blank totally destroys blank or why blank is a total failure yeah just skip it yeah yeah there's definitely true yeah and um if it, okay if it gives you warm fuzzies to read that then really skip it you know yeah um i know one individual who i won't mention who is a bit of a news junkie and he says that what he does is that every morning when he gets up he has four or five different uh, major newspapers or major news sources, I should say, that he reads, but he just reads the headline. Okay. He reads the headline, and if he really is interested, he'll read the actual story. But he finds usually if he reads the headlines, you know, dozen headlines or whatever from each of these four or five different sources, it takes him maybe about 10 minutes, he usually has a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world that day or at least what the major focus is of the news are for that day and since he can guess what most of the stories are <laughs> if he needs more info he just reads them if he doesn't he doesn't need to in most cases he probably doesn't need to because he was actually a journalist for like 20 years so he knows what most of <laughs> most of what's going on is right um so anyway um but the point but i can see his perspective i do something somewhat similar I've got a Google News thing that runs on my um, on my browser that my browser actually opens up to. And this is different than the one on my Android phone. Mm-hmm. This is one that I've actually kind of curated and I've tweaked it a little bit so that it's not giving me stuff based on my Google searches. It's giving me stuff based on sources of information I've told it I want the headlines for these different things each day. And so that's what I do. When I open up my browser, I make a point of just... You know, I skim the headlines. I basically go through. It's like, okay, is there anything interesting or what I consider noteworthy or that that's happening this day? And it gives me a general perspective on what's going on or at least what the major outlets are talking about. Yeah. And I do try to have a variety of sources in there so that I can not just get one perspective because I think that's the key. 
yeah. is that if you look a little bit on the left, a little bit on the right, a little bit in the middle, a little bit in Japan, you'll definitely get a good cross-perspective version. By the way, not joking about the Japan thing, NHK World is actually a great source of news, at least about Asian stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Very Japan-biased, but, <laughs> you know, that's something that um, even... Uh, another friend pointed out that even the RT network, that's by the way, Russia Today, or that's the Russian International News Network, um, sometimes they can actually give you some really interesting stories about, uh, especially about American politics, because the Russians seem to know a lot about how American politics work. It's almost <laughs> like they have an, it's, it's almost like they have an inside perspective. Um, American but, politics, a how-to guide. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I mean. As long as you're not expecting them to give you inaccurate, unbiased reporting about you know, Russia or Russia's dealings, Russia Today can actually be a decent news source in some ways. At least I'm told. I'm not a regular viewer. I'm, I have. I admit. Um, no, no, you're already on a list. Don't try to cover it up now. Well, probably. <laughs> and actually, I mentioned this to Don before the show as well, which is that um, I noticed this that at some point, I think it was after the second Gulf War. People realized that CNN was a major international news source for many, many people. And they realized that, well, wait, that means just the American version is getting out. So all these different countries, Japan, China, Germany, France, um, Yemen, that would be Al Jazeera, are all basically cranking out um, international news networks. They all have their own English language international news network. If you're traveling and go to a international business hotel, you'll find that there's all these different 24-hour English language news networks, but they're all linked up to one particular nation or group or nationality, whatever, of one form or another, because they realize that this there's you know a global audience and they're trying to get that global audience's eyeballs and control what the global audience thinks about different stories. Mm-hmm. And so there's the European perspective, the Chinese perspective, and the Japanese perspective. And again, I try to you know look at it from different ones and see what different perspectives are talking about it. Um, I find just listening to one perspective very annoying, actually. I like to, because usually they will barely tell you what's really going on. They'll tell you what they think is going on, but they don't really tell you what's actually going on. You have to actually kind of dig through a few sources to find the whole story. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's my take on the news anyway. And yeah, I, th- I mean, I, that's the only way I can think of to really um, understand the news. I mean, beyond actually reading history and uh, knowing about other cultures and having some idea of, uh, you know, how the world exists, basically. And, you know, knowing about knowing a little bit about regions lets you actually understand what some of the news is really saying because sometimes they're saying things or there's ideas behind the news that you need to understand the region or culture or people to actually understand what's really going on Mm. yeah i I think you kind of hit on i won't say the key but kind of the burden nowadays Mm -hmm. is if you want to know what's really 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 going on Mm -hmm. diversify your sources yep like, don't just watch the one that gives you the warm fuzzies and then leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Check out the other side, as it were. Um, yep. I like to flip between, like, the Canadian news, the British news, and there's a uh, English-language uh, France network mm-hmm. that you can get stuff. Just, again, because you get that different take on things Yep. just by it being a whole, like, other country. 
and it kind of helps round out your view of of what's really going on in the world yeah i definitely think that getting news believe it or not about your country from another country's perspective can sometimes actually be very fascinating because they're often giving you a version of the news that is less flavored with your own local politics and your own local biases yeah uh, because yeah i find that if i want to know about american events the british news is actually some of the best stuff going mm-hmm. like the brits are actually really good at covering the americans yeah actually oddly enough so is al jazeera yeah El- correction al jazeera english one should note about that al jazeera um arabic i've heard is the arabic version of fox news mm-hmm. uh, al jazeera english on the other hand is a very well it used to be anyway i may or may not be that way anymore but generally speaking a very high quality english network that um funny story actually mm-hmm. um the very quickly to end finish this off um the just around the time that El Jazeera was starting up their El, they wanted to start up their English version both the BBC and the CBC for whatever reason decided to downsize some of their news staff mm-hmm. and so El Jazeera swooped in and said you know you guys have been running the CBC and the BBC and you've been doing like this world class news stuff why don't you know why don't we hire you to make our new news network and we'll give you lots of freedom and we'll let you basically create the news network you want and we'll pretty much not interfere as long as you don't talk about you men and they're <laughs> like hell yeah and so pretty much the best of the uh, like the production side of uh, the bbc and the cbc are what created al jazeera english hmm. and that's why it's actually relatively high quality stuff right huh i mean yes it has its biases but most of them are again they're mostly based their biases about um the middle east right so that if you're aware of that you can actually kind of work with it and get some really interesting stuff especially since el jazeera english mostly tends to focus on the southern hemisphere mm-hmm. which which makes it really interesting because those that's the stuff you never hear about in normal uh, news networks at all True. unless there's a natural disaster you will never hear about the southern hemisphere at all it might as well not even exist right where whereas al jazeera english will cover stuff happening in india malaysia australia south america all that stuff like there's literally half the planet that gets ignored because it's somewhat poorer for the most part right or somewhat chaotic but al jazeera will actually try to cover that stuff and fairly well in fact hmm. so but again are they perfect no but they'll give you a different perspective that you're not going to get from uh just the normal fox news or cnn or msnbc or even cbc or ctv news world yeah. for us canadians mm-hmm. true so as i think so in the end, diversify your sources because it's all fake news, but try to make it as le- try to get as little <laughs> fakery as possible, I guess. I mean, basically, as Don has said all along, you have to be an active consumer. You have to be someone who is actually taking a little bit of action to make sure that you're getting a decent number of sources and to try to figure out what's really being said. Hmm. And I think that's the best message to leave on. So thanks, Don. Okay. <laughs> uh, anything you want to finish finish on don before we go no i think that's pretty much it i think what i would add is it's not a matter of being an active consumer of like news and media in general you are mm-hmm. an active consumer of news it's a matter of taking control over of that right you're always picking what you watch 
but put a little more conscious effort into what you decide to watch. Excellent point. All right. And that's the news. Good night, folks. Good night and good luck. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!